Great. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the um, podcast series on the future of curriculum. Uh, my name is Eric Westendorf. I'm co-founder at LearnZillion, and I am honored today to be joined by Brian Pick. I'm going to quickly give an introduction of Brian Pick, and then we're going to dive into some questions about the future of curriculum. So Brian Pick is the chief of teaching and learning for uh, Washington, D.C. public schools. Um, so his leadership is focused on equipping teachers with the best resources, uh, curricular resources in particular, as well as professional learning opportunities. Brian's a former second and fourth grade teacher in California. He's also been a policy analyst. He was chief of staff for school management in D.C., and he's also led the rollout of the DCPS teaching and learning framework, spearheaded their race to the top work, as well as their work with the new standards. And uh, for all of this work, um, in 2012, Brian was awarded the uh, Curriculum Leadership Award by the Council of Great City Schools. Uh, Brian, it is great to have you join us for this series today. Thanks for having me, Eric. Great, okay, let's, uh, let's dive in. We'd love to... Um, have you start out by sharing a little bit about how you think about curriculum in your role at, at DC public schools? Yeah, great. Here at DC, um, we've spent several years really talking about how we want to define curriculum. We settled essentially on, on saying curriculum uh, helps teachers decide what to teach, how to teach it, and when to teach it in, in whatever course they're teaching. Um, it's then it's really the path path for learning um, provided to the teacher and student, and then there's a lot of questions to ask, which which really get to what is the role of the district in filling that bucket of resources that help teachers decide what to teach, when to teach, and how to teach. Got it. Okay, so that's the framework you use that we're going to provide uh, guidance on this roadmap, and then we'll fill that bucket with with some options that equip teachers? Yeah, um, there are options, although I think there's an important decision for a district or CMO to make, which is what is going to be available for teachers and what is going to be required of teachers. Um, and we in DC, we have a set of materials uh, and kind of uh, the scope and sequence and the units of study within the, the scope and sequence, and some assignments are required. And uh, we believe that brings kind of a floor of equity to the district, and it provides for common uh, professional development and common uh, uh, student work analysis. It also uh, helps us with the transient um, uh, students who, who move from school to school. But we also then want to make things available for teachers who've, who need more support, um, and that might look like daily lessons or, or a planning weekly calendar so that if you've never taught ninth grade English before, or fourth grade math before, here's our best shot at, um, at how that, that course goes. But we see that as, as simply um, making available, we would want teachers to um, elegantly adapt it uh, and, and make it meet their own needs and their students' needs. Um, yeah, I'd love, Brian, to, for you to say more elegantly adapt. Um, you know, there are districts who take the approach that, um, look, we're going to provide the material and the expectation is that the teacher implements that and sort of executes it as is. And there on the opposite extreme, there's a much more sort of open approach. And you even have this great 
graphic that you've shown that that, that really lays out this continuum. And it mm -hmm. sounds like where you put a stake in the ground on that continuum is around the importance of elegant adaptation. I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about that continuum and why elegant adaptation is, is important for you and for uh, DC public schools. Sure, yeah. Um... You know, for several years, we've tried to, to create a common vocabulary around how we as a district, teachers, students, um, um, principals, central office staff, think about our curriculum strategy. And if, if you and the listeners would imagine a line, all the way on the left is the number one, and all the way on the right it's the number eight, there's, there's a tight looseness um, to this line that we talk about. If you're all the way to the left, you can just give teachers the standards. These are the learning expectations, the outcomes um, by grade, by subject. And you could train teachers in a backwards design um, model, something like understanding by design, where they're really uh, curriculum uh, creators and implementers. They're deciding on the units of study, they're deciding on the order of them, and then ultimately the lessons that they're going to teach. All the way on the right, you could have uh, next to number eight, really scripted 180 days of lessons. And, you know, there's there are programs on the market you can purchase that have those, and you can provide those to teachers and say this is the scope and sequence and scripted lessons for 180 days. We are somewhere in the middle. We've tried things like assessments at the beginning and end of year that show growth. We've tried interim assessments that are paced to a scope and sequence. We've even we've now really latched onto the idea of providing units of study for every grade and every subject that are tied to those interims. You could have exemplary lessons, you could have daily lesson bank banks, and you could have planning calendars. We have decided to have units of study that are common across the district. That's where we're tight. And we're tight with with some assignments within those units of study. We can talk more about those later, but those are our cornerstone assignments. They're the anchor assignments that all teachers do. And then we are loose at the daily lessons and the, and the planning calendars for most subjects and grade levels. The idea is that teachers know their students best, they know the, the curriculum, and they need to elegantly adapt, we use the phrase, to meet the needs of their students, knowing where they're coming from, where they need to go, to meet their own style as a teacher, um, and to, to kind of do the, bring the, the science and art of teaching, make the curriculum come alive, really internalize it, own it, and, and um, do extraordinary things with, with students with it. We do not want the curriculum to become a straitjacket, um, but we do want it to, to create some sort of floor of common experience with hopefully not putting on a ceiling. Awesome. Um, would love to uh, dive into cornerstones. You mentioned them as uh, part of the anchor within these units. Um, and uh, Lauren Zillian's been, been working with DCPS on this. And I just think it's really exciting work in the sense that it, it creates really uh, an instructional strategy for this elegant adaptation that you're talking about. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what, what those are, why they're important to DCPS, and, and, and then a little bit about how they, how they came about, how, how they were conceived of. Sure, yeah. Um, essentially, a, a cornerstone um, is, is a, a learning experience of which we have two, over 260. They're high-quality, engaging academic tasks. 
learning experiences that are embedded into our curriculum. They're embedded into the units of study. And we use them at scale as a lever to improve the quality of teaching and the depth of what students are experiencing. All the cornerstones have rigorous, meaningful, and, and hopefully uh, authentic uh, content that's tied to that unit of study. They all, most of them have a student-focused learning model. So a student-centered learning model, such as Paideia or Socratic seminar, inquiry math problems, close readings, historical documents, um, ways where, where kids are, are doing the cognitive work. And then all cornerstones have some student work product, whether it's a performance or a written or digital piece. Um, they're producing something with this cornerstone. It came really from a charge from our former Chancellor, Kaya Henderson, who said, even with our units of study, I can go from classroom to classroom, from first grade class to first grade class, or biology class to biology class, and see vastly different engagement uh, really in front of students. What, are, what task are they engaged in? And the creation of these tasks with our, our, um, with our own teachers who helped curate, create, share, and champion the tasks, um, created a common language around what is a high-quality biology lesson? What does a high-quality seventh-grade math lesson look like? What is the content, the student engagement, and the product that is produced? It also drives professional development now. Teachers are meeting in cohort uh, groups of like subject and grade level. They do their professional development around these shared tasks just in time. So they may, they may meet, and then they're in the next several weeks, they're, they're implementing the task, and then they're coming back together after the implementation to share reflections on how it went, and importantly, to look at the student work products. Great. I think you know. I think it's uh, what is exciting about this approach, Brian. Is is you know you mentioned creating a common language um, for teachers across the district. You know who are working in um, schools that are many miles apart in some cases, with different uh, different neighborhoods, different challenges, and this idea that no, we're going to create a common floor, a common language, and we're not going to do that by mandating scripted lessons. We're gonna do that in a way that still acknowledges what you talked about previously, the importance of this elegant adaptation that enables teachers who know their students well to sort of get the right fit for their students. So, so this balance of getting that right fit and customizing with common, um, a common language and a common floor uh, is, is a really, interesting approach. Um, what, what have been some of the surprises along the way or, or things that, you know, worked even better than expected or less, less uh, well as expected? Well, I think there are several. Um, I mean, this, the, the concept of creating a floor without creating a ceiling is definitely the most difficult of our academic uh, um, agreements to kind of to fulfill. But where it happens, you see extraordinary things happening with kids, where teachers are running with assignments and doing even more than we thought of um, to engage their students in the learning and the lesson. Um, I would say one of the, the there are two big takeaways that I can, that I can um, speak to. One is from the student experience. Um, there is a, a rigor and excitement and, and, dare I say, a joy 
to many of these learning activities, whether it's third graders learning about people, laws, and democracy, and, and camp doing uh, uh, learning about elections uh, just in time for this year's election, or it's physics students building a solar cooker, or it's um, uh, seventh grade students uh, doing a lesson around ratio that has to do with figuring out the height of a giant based on a, a large pencil that's placed on their desk. Or, of course, our second graders who are learning to ride bicycles in PE class. There is a real joy um, to, the, to the learning happening uh, for students. For teachers, there's two things happening. One, they greatly appreciate working in content-specific uh, uh, cohorts around the content pedagogy of what they're about to teach. You certainly need to know quite a bit about fractions uh, to teach fourth grade. You need to know what two-thirds times three-fourths is and how to draw a picture, how to, how to do a rectangular model of that. And you need to know good pedagogy. You need to know how to manage a classroom. But it is the mix of the two, the content pedagogy of teaching fractions to fourth graders that these, these assignments allow teachers to work with their fourth grade math peers um, to have content-specific pedagogical conversations around what are the misunderstandings that are going to happen, what is the arc of learning that I want to take my students through. And I would say linked to that is the intellectual satisfaction that teachers are having by diving into high-quality text, high-quality tasks, really doing the, the intellectual preparation for lessons is a little different than traditional lesson planning. They are getting ready to teach um, by intellectually preparing for the text that they're going to teach. Do they, do they really understand it and, and know the nuance, the task in math that they're about to teach, um, the historical document that they're going to do a PDA seminar on? So I think there is an, an intellectual um, fulfillment that's hap happening as well in many of our, our professional learning communities. Yeah, it sounds, um, it sounds Brian, a little bit like a, um, let's go deep instead of trying to cover the whole waterfront. Let's take time to enable this to be a real intellectual pursuit for teachers. Let's give them a chance to unleash their creative renditions of this particular task and in the process make it a joyful rich learning experience for students. I, you know, I, I think that um, one of the trade-offs there is saying, you know, we're going to go deep and we're going to, you know, create this anchor experience as opposed to we're going to sort of race through planning uh, of every single lesson. How do you, how have you thought about that, that trade-off and, and why have you sort of come down in the place you have on that? Yeah, so I think I have three responses to that. The first, you have to um, have an understanding that our curriculum is, is knowledge-rich. It is content-rich. Even in the ELA curriculum, we have units of study that include quite a bit of science and social studies, the solar system, rocks and minerals, civil rights movement, people, laws, and democracy, plants. The, the content is rich, which requires teachers to know quite a bit about the content. So going deep actually is building teachers' knowledge and thus students' knowledge of, of these topics. And things like that are in the Common Core. The Common Core ELA standards demand that you build a, a, a systematic knowledge-rich curriculum. There's an example of the human body in there and how you would build students' knowledge. You're going to build skills. Um, and, but why not do that through the building of knowledge? We have our students for 15 years. I, I think we 
we have kind of a duty to build a rich knowledge-based uh, curriculum. So one is, is students giving an opportunity for teachers themselves to go deep on what is what are um, in, in second grade right now the unit is around how humans prepare for weather and really having teachers know deeply different weather phenomenon and and their implications for for preparation by for for humans the second piece is uh, the idea that if you go deep on an instructional model, we like to call them instructional models, but a method of teaching like close reading, and you, you really study the practice of close reading, how to take a complex text and create a learning arc through it so students are, are deeply understanding what the author is saying and how they constructed that, that piece, we then have close reading modules in all of our units of study and we believe, and we've seen this, if you kind of take the time to get good at it with your peers once um, and maybe twice again, you then have available close reading modules in all of your units of study. And we've seen teachers, in fact, 70% of teachers reported using a new instructional model because of cornerstones and then using that in their classroom routine. Paideia Seminar is an excellent example in social studies where we brought teachers through the, the cornerstone professional learning experience around Paideia Seminar, and we have Paideia Seminars in all of our units. And then finally, I'd say that we started with the cornerstone approach, which was meeting four times a year in cross-school uh, groups to do the preparation and the, and the afterwards norming. But we've now taken that to weekly planning sessions, content-specific grade bands in our schools led by what we call LEAP leads. So they're doing weekly planning now that is content-specific. Um, so we believe that both the cross-school work around norming and the in-school work around what am I teaching this week is important and it's something we're working on supporting. That's great. That's great. So it sounds like number of benefits from going deep. One is just that content knowledge that they're building is going to affect the teacher's um, understanding of the entire unit, not just that particular uh, anchor experience. And then pedagogically speaking, going deep with something like Paideia Seminars serves them well, even when it's not a cornerstone in another unit, because they become very, it, it gives them a chance to become more familiar with it. Um, and then it sounds like you've also got Leap, which allows for this regular drumbeat of uh, looking at units and ensuring that um, other lessons are also being planned for thoughtfully. That's right. Yeah, and the Leap model is essentially a, a professional learning community that is school-based, that is subject-specific, and that is rooted in helping teachers execute the curriculum at a highest at its highest level. It's making the million decisions you make on Sunday night uh, to 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 do your lesson planning, it's bringing that to light and, and talking about that with your peers. Brian, do you, do you imagine, like, if, if we play this out, um, let's say it's now five years from now, or even ten years from now, would it, would it be the case uh, that eventually the number of cornerstones would go from 260 to, you know, 520 to 1,000, and, and eventually every day would consist of a task that had been closely, deliberately planned and sort of queued up for success? Or is that somehow not sort of where it ought to go over five to 10 years? 
Yeah, I'm not sure it's that model or if it's we provide more options. So right now you might have one close reading module or one novel, and we may say, listen, to build in teacher choice and student choice, there may be multiple high-quality tasks that fit within that unit. Um, there may be two pieces that you could read, um, and you can either have your students choose or you can choose to move forward. Um, I think it might be more of that approach than locking down 180 days of cornerstones. Got it. Got it. So creating more of that menu, so especially depending on um, that sort of elegant adaptation, it would add another layer to that. Correct, yeah. Another approach could be, too, is we, we're um, thinking quite critically around how authentic are the learning experiences happening in classrooms. Is there a, an authentic or real-life audience for the product? Is the content a real-life problem that, that you're tasked to solve? And I could also see increasing the percentage of the 260 cornerstones that have a, an authentic connection yep. um, to Washington, D.C. and to our students' lives. Yeah. In, in other words, each of these cornerstones, by being sort of polished and adapted every year, there's a long way you could go to just continuing to make it more and more meaningful and authentic and connected to the community. Correct. That's right. Cool. Uh, Brian, you are very focused on what's best for the students, the teachers in D.C. public schools. I also know that you get a chance to connect with other leaders around the country and, and more and more are, are being sort of recognized as a thought leader. And so you're getting to see some of how the Cornerstones work connects with other trends out there. I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you look uh, ahead, um, what some of those trends are when it comes to the future of curriculum. Do you foresee uh, more and more cornerstone-like approaches? How does that potentially integrate with what you're seeing in terms of the evolution of technology and curriculum? Curious to just, in terms of pattern recognition, what, what you're... Um, as you peek around the bend, what, what, what you're predicting? Yeah, so, so let me talk about three buckets, um, uh, kind of magic eight ball stuff that I see happening. The first is the, the renewed interest on, on curriculum in general um, in districts. There was a, a large focus for some time on human capital or, or the, the teacher effectiveness work, and that is tremendously important work, I think, you know, I will be the first to say that an uh, uh, extraordinary teacher uh, is the most important thing in a classroom, and a great curriculum can help that teacher um, do just wonderful things with their kids. But there is a, a renewed focus, I believe, on the importance and the potential of having a coherent, high-quality curriculum as a baseline to support uh, the difficult job of teaching. So I'm excited about that. Uh, movement. I'm actually excited to talk about high-quality texts and books and novels, uh, math problems, uh, historical documents, science labs, the art projects and, and PE lessons, uh, and music projects that we want students engaged in. That, that is exciting to me, um, and I see renewed interest and investment in that work. The second piece is this balance between what I would say modular options in curriculum 
Um, but then also the importance of having full course curricula that makes sense over the course of a year. So I think you're going to see, um, I would hope you would see more and more uh, smart thinking around how do you help teachers take pieces and chunks of curricula, whether they're at the unit or lesson level, and put them together into a, a coherent full course experience for, for a student. Um, we're seeing more and more resources available, and I think we'll see both full course curricula and ways to smartly put together modular-based curricular pieces into a coherent full. And then finally, there's a, there's a, a tremendous um, amount of potential leveraging technology, not just in the sharing of high-quality curriculum materials, but also in, in the implementation of them. One, one piece that we are very focused on in the next couple of years here at DC Public Schools is most of our curriculum right now is teacher-facing. And it's teacher-facing um, in an educative way, which is uh, a new word that I learned, a new word I learned this summer. But it's curriculum that is designed to help a teacher get better at the practice of teaching. Yep. I think through technology, we will also have a renewed focus on student-facing curriculum where students can log in and essentially see a course, see the assignments that it takes to do, what is this course about, what are the units of study, how am I successful at completing this course, um, and really uh, empowering them to own and have some agency around their progress through uh, the curriculum. Great, great. Um, final question for you here, Brian. Um, we're, we're winding down on time. I'm a, imagine I'm a, I'm a district leader. I'm, I'm listening to these trends. I'm listening to your description of cornerstones. Um, and at the same time, I'm feeling some level of sort of anxiety, maybe even a, a bit overwhelmed by the speed of change. And, you know, sometimes we hear district leaders talk about, gosh, it's changing so much that now teachers even if I do adopt some curriculum, I've got this Pinterest problem. They're they're going to Pinterest. They're do. How do I how do I get my arms around this? You know how do I how do I start to recognize these 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 patterns, recognize these changes, and take uh, some very practical steps in the right directions? What are some of the practical steps that you would recommend to a district leader who's who's seeing the incredible opportunity ahead, but also probably feeling a little bit overwhelmed by all the change? Great question. So I would, I would encourage two paths in response to that question. One is high-level strategy and being clear about that, and the other is a very tangible in the classroom around tasks. To tell you more, I would say that I, I believe curriculum leaders are not transparent enough around a common language of what their curriculum strategy is. Do they want to bank hard on, on interim assessments and say, we're going to hold the bar on these interims and they'll help you understand how to create instructional experiences in your classrooms? Or are we going to adopt an off-the-shelf lesson uh, bank and really implement that, that to fidelity? I think there is a lack of clarity sometimes by, from teachers and, and the district around what, what, are they, what is the strategy for instructional improvement when it comes to the use of curriculum materials. And I think building, going back to that one to eight tight to loose line, having the whole system clear on the, the curriculum strategy and, and have common language to talk about it 
um, is, is a, a, a good approach for districts to get started. The other one, which is almost on the, the other side, not in the strategy realm, it's on a very kind of practical implementation realm, is I very much believe in the power of the academic task in the lesson experience. And what I might encourage uh, districts to do is to either identify, adopt, borrow, beg, steal, high quality tasks and design professional learning for teachers around those tasks and place the task into the scope and sequence at the appropriate point of time and use the task as an anchor for professional learning, for student experience, um, and for, for, for content. Um, much like we, we did with our cornerstone strategy. Awesome. Ryan, this has been terrific. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to, uh, to join, join me today um, and, and reflect on what, what you're seeing both in DCPS and the great work you're doing there with cornerstones as well as sort of the broader landscape. Um, yeah, thank you for having me, and, and thanks to LearnZillion for a great thought partnership around this. Um, I'm excited about your series on curriculum. Um, there, there is nothing more exciting for me than to talk about what students are learning, how they're learning it, and when they're learning it.